Praise God, brothers and sisters. Um, I ask that you uh, please be, be patient with me this evening. If my voice is a little bit funny, uh, I caught a little cold over the weekend. Um, the message that I wanted to share with you guys this evening is, is not a new message to me. It was a message that the Holy Spirit told me many years ago. Not super many. I'm still, I'm still not very old or anything. But when I was in around middle school, around 12, 13 years old, God kept repeating this message to me. The Holy Spirit kept repeating this conviction to me. And it was a while before I responded to that conviction. And I wanted to share that with every single one of you here. And where I wanted to read from was the book of Matthew chapter 10. And these are the words of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, and I'll start from verse 34, reading down to verse 39. We know that God loves us. We know that he is very peaceful. We have Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, for example. And sometimes we can uh, turn him into something he's not. We can say that he is a socialist, that he believes everyone should live in a utopia and that we're all the same. But Jesus says something very interesting here. Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 34. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says something very interesting in the beginning of this, this short scripture that we read. He says, do not think. He's saying, I want you to be very sure and very clear about this thing. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division. He says, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division. And what is that division? The division between light and darkness. The fellowship that we as Christians have, even within our own family. In this context, he says, even in your family, there will be division in regards to the gospel. And those of you who have a sibling, maybe, or a parent who is not a Christian will know exactly what I'm talking about. There will always be a tension in a Christian's life between those people that are a part of this world and with those who are Christians. There will always be a tension. There will always be a division, and this is absolutely normal. This is normal. And it's very interesting, actually. In Matthew chapter 25, for example, and you don't have to open up there. They might put it on the projection. Matthew 25, 33, he says, when I come again, Jesus says, when I come back again in glory with my angels, what am I going to do? I'm going to divide everyone like a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And on my right hand, I'll have the sheep. I will have the Christians. And on my left hand, I will have the goats. I will have the non-believers. And the Christians will go to heaven. They'll be with Christ. They'll be with God for all eternity. But all of the goats, all of the sinners, they will go into, into hell. They will go into internal condemnation. So we know there is a division. The gospel will cause division. 
And if you are not experiencing this division, you might ask yourself, am I a Christian? If I am not experiencing division with those who are not Christians, with the world, if I can be friendly with the world, and for some reason they're okay with me just the way I am, I must be doing something wrong. I am doing something wrong. If my friends of this world, and we're not restricted, we can have friends of this world. And for the sake of the gospel, we should have friends that are from this world. And we should evangelize to them through our life, through the message. But if my life does not offend them, if my life does not convict them, if my life does not cause them to look at themselves and say, I can't hang out with this person, I'm doing something wrong. If my Christianity does not convict anybody of their own lack of righteousness, of sin, if the Holy Spirit cannot use me to become something that divides, am I really a Christian? If I can be friends with everyone, am I really a Christian? Because Jesus says that is not, that's not normal. That is not normal. If I'm a Christian, I will experience division. I will experience division in my family. I will experience division in this world. Because light cannot have fellowship with darkness. God is a holy God. And he calls us to be holy. And that, and that is not something that the world enjoys. The world does not like to be put under the spotlight. They do not like to be in fellowship with us. And it may not always be something very drastic. No one's stoning us, I would say. No one is kicking us off of colleges, although it's getting to that point. Not, people are not, in a sense firing us from our jobs. We're doing okay right now, although America is kind of going down a very strange direction. But it can be something as simple as your friends ostracizing you. Your friends find out you're a Christian, you share the gospel, and for some reason they don't want to hang out with you anymore. For some reason they keep you at a distance now. And if that does happen, then you're doing Christianity right. You're doing Christianity right if you're causing division. And there's something very interesting. I know in the very beginning I said, I wanted to share a message that God was sharing with me. Holy Spirit was sharing with me. And that was within the last two verses. The last two verses that I want to read one more time. Verse 38 and 39. Let's go actually, let's do 37 too. Why not? He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, when I was around 12, 13 years old, and I was sitting where you, where you are sitting right now, literally specifically in that general spot right there, this was at Bible school, and there was this question that was asked. And this, this was at the end of the summer Bible school, because Bible school had this thing where during the summer, it became summer Bible school, and every week was basically an altar call. And God blessed them. That was, it was very needed. It was very needed in my life. And every single week, I would repent. Every single week, I would come up, and I would cry. I would bawl. I would come to the front. We would hug it out with our friends afterwards. We're all praying for each other. But my life was not changing. My life was not changing. And every week, I had to repent again and again and again, and I felt very clean. I felt very clean. I felt sanctified. But I would fall back into sin very soon after, very shortly. And at the end of this Bible school, at the end of this two, three-month period where every week is an altar call, 
And the place was packed. They asked a very interesting question. They said, raise your hand. And I will not ask this to you, but to us they said, raise your hand if you have given your life to Jesus Christ completely. Or raise your hand if you have surrendered your whole life completely to Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, I did not raise my hand. The friends who sat around me, we did not raise our hand. My brother, we did not raise his hand. And I want to say maybe eight, eight tenths, nine tenths of that place did not raise their hand. A very small portion of that hall raised their hand of this whole congregation. Such a small amount of them raised their hand. And he's, he was almost surprised. I remember looking at him and he looked surprised that so little people had given their life to Jesus Christ. Because every single week, everyone's repenting. Everyone's coming up to the front. Everyone's crying together. Everyone is worshiping. And he was almost surprised too. This is it? This is it? These are the only people that gave their life to Christ? And I want to share this message with you. Until you surrender everything to Jesus Christ. And you will know. This is not a, I think I gave everything to God. I knew without a doubt, 100%, that I had not given Christ my life. It was not a matter of, I think I gave it all. I knew I had not given it all. There were things in my life that the Holy Spirit told me was wrong, but I knew I had not given it up. And God was saying this. If you want to find your life, if you want to save your own life, if you want to live this life however you think is right, however you think is comfortable, however you think is best, you will lose it. You will lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, Jesus said, if you will give up your life for Jesus Christ, you will gain life. And I want to say to you, as someone who was on the one side of the fence and is now on the other side of the fence, who was on that side of the lawn and is now on the greener side of the lawn. When I was not converted, it, the scariest thing I could have done was surrender to Jesus Christ. There was nothing scarier and more terrifying and more nerve-wracking than giving my life to Jesus Christ. Because I kept saying, and I knew, Lord, if I surrender everything to you, there's so many things I have to give up. God, there are so many things that I'm doing right now that I know that you hate, I know that you dislike, and that if I truly surrender to you, I'm going to have to let it all go. And I can't do that right now. And God, and for all I know, Lord, and these are the thoughts I had, it's possible you may still have these. Lord, if I give my whole life up to you, what if you take everything away from me, God? God, what if you ask me to go do something crazy like be an evangelist out there? What if you ask me to sell all that I have? And all these thoughts are circulating and the devil is saying, do you really want to give everything up? What if God wants to take you away from the comfort of your home, the comfort of your family? What if he wants to take you out of Tacoma? What if he wants to take you out of this church and do something, do something crazy with you? And that scared me and that terrified me. But Jesus says this, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If I love the things of this world, if I love my family, I know family can be such a hard thing to let go sometimes. But if I am to follow Jesus Christ, my love for him must surpass 
the love of anything else I have here on this world. The love for Jesus Christ should be more than the love that I have for my family, for my wife, for my son or my daughter, my flesh, the bone of my bone, my family, the same blood, we're the same kind. I should love Christ more than all of them. In another place in the Bible, it says you should hate them compared to the love that you have for Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a life of full surrender. And sometimes we can mess it up with terminology. We can say something like, have you committed your life to Jesus? There's nothing wrong with the word committed. But when we use terminology like, have you committed your life to Jesus? We say, we say this, have you consented? Have you decided on finally maybe giving God a chance? When Christ has called us to a surrender. Not a consent. I do not consent to try Jesus out for a little bit. I surrender everything to him. I'm supposed to surrender all of my passions, all of my desires, everything, my free time, my friendships, my hobbies, everything to the will of God. And that is very difficult when you're on the wrong side of the fence because that is everything. That is all that you know. You are spiritually dead from your birth and all you know is your flesh and all that you love. And to give that all up seems like suicide. It seems, it seems crazy. But Jesus says, if you want to find life, if you want to finally gain something out of this life, if you want to gain life eternally and here on earth, you must give it up for my sake. You must give it up and put it all unto subjection to the Word of God. What does that look like? The Bible tells me that my thoughts need to be put under control. And so I, as a Christian, have to say, Lord, I can no longer allow these thoughts to go wild and rampant like I have been allowing them to. I need to control these thoughts from now on. The Bible tells me I can no longer curse with my lips. I need to speak only what is edifying and what is good for building someone up. If I cuss, that is a sin. And that was something I had to get rid of when I converted. The Lord has so many areas where we need to submit to the obedience of Christ. And unless you surrender, you will never do it. Unless you surrender completely, you will not be able to do it. You will find excuse after excuse after excuse. And many times we can turn our Christianity into a, what is socially acceptable? What is socially acceptable in the church? And this was a conversation I had with someone very recently. And it seems like it's okay if I have not surrendered my life completely to Jesus. As long as I can fit within this small framework of what is socially acceptable. What do I mean? What do I mean when I say this? As long as I keep my sins to myself and I hide it from everyone else. It doesn't matter whether or not I think homosexuality is okay, when I come to church, I'll let everyone know that it's a sin. It doesn't matter if maybe I smoke outside of church. When it comes to church, you won't find none of that on me. And I will do everything that I socially can to appear to have surrendered to Christ, when in reality, I am so far away from Him. In reality, I am so far away from Him. And I remember, I, I, I fit under that category. I fit under that category. 
it was a very young age when I, when I first, first preached a sermon. I was in seventh or eighth grade. And Lord knows I struggled with some of the worst sins that I had in my life. And he was still giving me opportunities to preach and to speak. Isn't it crazy that I could be struggling with such addictions in my life, such sins, such gross sins, and God was still letting me preach. And if you were to look at my life, like some people were doing, they thought, you see this young man, this young gentleman, he's such a strong Christian. Oh, they didn't know me, guys. They did not know me. But I just had to look the part, and socially, I was better than the majority because I would preach every now and then. They didn't care where my heart was. They didn't care where my soul was. I would fit within their social framework. And I was socially acceptable as a Christian, even though I was not a Christian. And my message to you is, do not fall for that lie. Do not fall for that deceit. The devil will say, if I can do everything to make them not surrender, if I can make them hold on just a little bit to the flesh and not give everything up to God, then he is one. Then he is one. I know that God is convicting me of these sins, whatever they may be, but as long as I can make this Christian hold on to those sins and not surrender everything, he will never find that life. He will never find that life Jesus promised because he never gave everything up. He never gave everything up. But the day that I gave everything up, I will say to you, the day that I surrendered my will to Jesus Christ, even as a young boy, 13 years old, 14 years old, and in my small mind, I said, God, I will give you my free time. I will change my friends. I will not go where I should not go. I will not visit the sites I visit. Lord, I am willing to give up my video games, everything, Lord, for your kingdom. I found life. God freed me and he took such a burden off of my soul and he finally gave me eternal life. He took the weight of this world away from me. He gave me his blood to overcome every single sin. And when I have in faith sought his face, he has helped me overcome every sin. There is no sin he has not helped me overcome to this point. When I was willing and when I was obedient to his word. And I said, Father, you see that my thought life is not pure. Your word tells me that I must be transformed by the renewing of my mind. God, help me do this. Years go by, he's helped me do it. We're not perfect people. I am not a perfect person. But if I am willing, and if you, every single one of you here, is willing to surrender everything to God, he promises that he will give you life. He will give you life here and in eternity. And so I want to share that message with you tonight, the message that I had so many years ago, five, six years ago when I was so much younger, 12, 13, 14 years old, when my mind was so small, so puny, and it still is, and I thought to myself, I have to give up my friends, my free time, my video games. That was the world to me because that's all that I knew. It was the world to me to speak how I wanted to speak. When someone treated me wrong, I was justified if I wanted to cuss them out. I was justified if I wanted to be angry with someone. But when I surrendered to Christ, I knew that I had to let it all go. I knew that it had to all go. And when I let it all go, he gave me life. And now that I'm on this side of the fence, I'm on the side where the grass is greener, I look back and I say, Lord, I thank you for all the convictions, all the proddings and the pokings by the Holy Spirit, all those altar calls. God, I thank you for all of them. 
Because by your grace, I am now saved and I have eternal life. So I want to say to all of you here, do not wait. Do not wait. Do not say, I need to clean my life up. I know I would say that to myself. I need to clean my life up before I come and surrender. Do not do that. You surrender to Christ now. Surrender to him while the chance is here today. While salvation is available today, surrender completely to him. And he will give you life. And this is a life that is only experienced by the Holy Spirit. You will not find this joy. You will not find this life. The verse that says you will never thirst again did not make sense to me until I was converted. Because until I was converted, I was searching for joy. I was searching for pleasure. I was satisfied by the things this world gave me, but I always needed more. But the second I surrendered to Christ, I noticed I had all my fulfillment, all my satisfaction, all my joy was fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And I no longer thirst anymore for something else because his spiritual drink is that which causes me to never thirst again. I will not look to the left. I will not look to the right. I will keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. He has given me life. And I think this would be a great opportunity to stand up and pray before we continue this service. To just say, Lord, if there is anything separating me from you, forgive me, God. Remove that from me. Lord, I thank you for this service, my God, that you've given us a day, Father, where we can come together and seek your face, Lord, when we can worship you in spirit and truth, Father, that as we hear your word, my God, you've given us a choice, Father, to either humbly submit at the foot of the cross, my God, and to bow before Jesus Christ, God, or to continue in my sin, to continue living in my flesh, Father. I pray, Lord, let us not linger anymore, God, but let us surrender this life. Let us lose this life for the sake of Christ, God, that we might find it, Lord, that we might gain it, God. It is contrary to all that we know, Father. The flesh tells us to be selfish, God, to seek our own desire, our own pleasures, God. But you tell us, Father, if we do this, if we seek to gain our own life, God, in the end, we will lose it, Father. We will be at your right hand, God, like those goats, Father. You will send us, Father, to eternal condemnation, to eternal hell, Father. And I do not want that for any one of us, God. But I know that you are patient, God. I know that you were patient with me, Father. I did not bow before you in the beginning, God. It took many months, Father. It took many years, Father, before I surrendered it all, Father. So I pray, give us grace. Give us mercy. Be patient with us, Father. If today is that day, Lord, I pray, let us bow before you and let us surrender our lives to you. If not, God, if our hearts are hardened, Lord, if our hearts are still, Father, dedicated on ourselves, I pray, forgive us, Lord. Be merciful and continue to poke and prod us, God. Continue to convict us, Holy Spirit, Father. I was not worthy of salvation. And even today, God, I see how much of a wretch I am, God. I understand, Father, I was not someone that was more worthy of salvation, Father. I was just as sinful. I was just as deserving of hell, God. But you loved me, Father. And you sought me out, God. You loved me first, Lord. When there was nothing good in me, Father, you loved me, Lord. Before I ever looked at your eyes, my God, into your direction, God, into your word, Father, you loved me in my sin. You loved me in my idolatry, God. And that is true love, Father. And I will worship you, God. And I will praise you, God. And I, my God, will exalt you, Father. And this life on forever, my God, when I see you again, Lord, in heaven, Father. I pray, let us all stand at your right hand, God. Let every single one of us be among your sheep, Father. 
And may you bless this service, God. Speak to us, Father. Whatever you have to say, Holy Spirit, we love you, my God. Be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to start off with reading the verse that kind of inspired this poem and opened up my own eyes. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 26, verse 35. Matthew 26, 35. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. So there was a point in my spiritual growth where everything was going really well, where I was praying all the time. I could, I could pray for hours, and I was reading the Bible, and I was really into it. And I thought to myself, there is nothing that could possibly sway me. And at that time, I was reading Job, and Job is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I'm reading, and I'm like thinking to myself, I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to wish anything on myself. And I was like, you know, if I was Job, I think, I think I'd be okay. I think I would do even a, a little bit better than Job because I thought I was so spiritually strong. Little did I know. Then comes a point where it seems like every attack that could possibly attack me is coming at me. And I'm looking left and right, and I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. This, why am I a Christian if... I'm, all these good things are supposed to happen. You read the Bible and there's like blessings and I feel like I'm just being attacked by everything. And I don't think that I can stand through these attacks anymore. And it, it got to a point where it was so bad that I just, I didn't want to go into my prayer closet. I didn't want to go there and just complain because I felt like even though I was praying, I wouldn't get anything out of it. Like, wh why am I even praying if it's not doing anything? Why should I read the Bible if I'm reading these words that I've read a million times and they're not encouraging me? They're not doing anything to me. And finally, I got down on my knees and I had a really tough decision to make. So I wanted to come to Christ and see what the right thing to do. And I'm praying and I'm kind of like, okay, I need wisdom in this. I don't know what to do. And I couldn't even ask him. I just started bawling because... I'm like, God, like, I thought that I would be strong enough to endure. And I have these things that they may not even seem like really tough trials to some other people. But to me, I was just falling at every single one, and I could not get back up. So I just started. I was on my knees, and I didn't want to get up from my knees until I had that hope again, until my hope was reassured. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm such a Peter. I'm, like, looking at myself, and I was like, God, I really thought that I could do better than Job. What was I thinking? So I'm praying, and I'm like, God, like, forgive me. Please give me the strength. And, and even if these trials, they're going to keep coming. They're going to keep coming in your life. I don't know where you are right now, but it's not just going to keep getting easier and easier. Trials are just going to keep coming in your life. But you can choose for them to make you stronger or for you to just get into this hole and just keep digging yourself deeper and deeper into it. So I didn't want to get out in that prayer until I was fully reassured again. And even if those things come again, I would rather face them with my God who is victorious, who has already won every single battle, than face them by myself and think that I can do better without my God because I can't. I would rather face death with him than be by myself in this world. How can I stand steady with so much pressure on me, so many tribulations pulling me down to doom? I seem to be giving up so soon much faster than I thought. I am by the snare caught. It's something I never thought I would say. 
I said, Lord, I will stay if they all run away. Lord, I proclaimed that I would still be there even if there is no one else left, that I would go with you anywhere, but it's not easy. Dare I say, Lord, I wasn't ready to take up this cross. I have forgotten and miscalculated the cost. For all these attacks, they ache on my back. The yoke that I'm bearing is too much, overpowering and overbearing. It's constant and never leaving, and I can't seem to try and forget it, for the pain always reminds me that that burden is still there. I'll cry my nights away, then try and get through the day hiding my sorrow. I'm desperately waiting for tomorrow, for the sun to rise, for the day to finally come so I can forget yesterday and focus on today from right now. But how? How did you bear it? How could you hold it? You remained silent through the thorns in your head. No matter what was being said, you just looked to heaven. And instead of begging, you gave us a blessing by forgiving and living through all these transgressions, through all the oppression. But Lord, I'm not as strong as you. I cannot go through what you went through. I cannot even get through my own tribulations. I can't make it through these tough situations. I cry and I cower like a coward. I flee from my attacker. I hide in the shadows and dodge these sharp arrows. I'm not bold enough to meet the enemy. I am not strong enough to fight. I can't endure through the death penalty. I won't make it. Forget my destiny, for I'm out of breath and out of strength, long lost out of courage and through with any hope. I am not able to cope. Forgive me, Father, for I was not true to my honor. I thought that I would be stronger, that I could keep my composure and run through the front lines. I could fight Goliath and take on an army, but I have fallen at every hardship. I was certain that I would go the farthest. I thought I was prepared and heavily guarded, but just like Adam and Eve at the garden, I have fallen and I have failed you. Just like Peter, I have denied you. How can I possibly win with the odds stacked up against me? Who can defend me? But my God still stands in front of me. He says that they may try and tempt me, but you must remember my victory because I won so that you could win. I went through so that you may know that you can get through too, no matter the tribulation or struggle, the hardships and battles, I still stand with you. And when you fall, I will continue to fight for you. When you flee, don't run away. Run to me. I replenish strength and give you might. I give courage to the cowards. Sustain the weak. I supply my mighty power. I will make rich the poor. So get up. Be afraid no more. For I am living proof. Let my words sustain you for all. Even my own were against me. Though everyone left me, even the grave couldn't keep me. Through many battles, my God made me victorious because he has never left me. By myself, I cannot get through. I will flee, but even if I run, my God still pursues. Even if I fail, he comes to my avail. I may not stand steady or even stable, but my God can do far more. Though I am unable, he is able. Let me not run to the hills, but run to my God, who is my help and forever my victory. Praise God. Thank you. 
Praise God. He deserves the glory. Amen? Amen. We're getting closer if somebody noticed. I'm sure a lot of people noticed that we're getting closer to the New Year's. And the year of 2018 is coming to an end. It is really hard to believe. Some people are excited. Some people are sad because, you know, the year didn't bring what they hoped it would bring. Um, other people are feeling good. They accomplished something. Nevertheless, the time goes forward, and we can't go back and change the things that happened in this year. However, we have hope. We have still a month or about a month left in this year. And Lord willing, we might have another year. Uh, but the topic for this New Year's night, and I'm sure many and probably, I hope all of you are planning to attend, <clears throat> the topic for this New Year's night is going to be um, you are the light of the world. Is that right, Bogdan? Or light to the world, yes. In short, that's my sermon, you are the light to the world. <laughs> um, light to the world is the topic for this new year. And uh, we would like to start talking about it today, uh, beginning today maybe. Uh, Dennis, thank you for your sermon, already started speaking on division between light and darkness. Um, let's open Matthew chapter 5, 14 and 16. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 5, 14 and 16. Uh, Jesus speaks these, the words, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a candle, a lamp, and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I remember a time when the first time, for the very first time, I went to a Christian camp. I was in my preteens, probably, um, I don't know, 12, 13. And uh, the location where was the camp was had uh, this underground caves that went on for hundreds of, you know, meters, um, yards. And uh, they were chiseling out stones, huge stones, pulling them out and so on. So we went on a little uh, field trip into these caves. And uh, everyone with their leaders of the group and so on with flashlights. Some people had those flashlights. You have to press really hard to make them work, you know. They were generating energy, and you just keep pumping and going and so on. And so only the leaders had the flashlights. We would go into these caves, and, and it's, it's, you know, really chilling there, and you're just, you know, getting closer to other people. Um, but when we went in, um, at one point, 
all the lights went off. At the same time, and we could not figure out what's going on. Where, what happened to the light? Only later we learned that that was done, you know, in purpose by our leaders. They wanted to teach us a lesson. So they shut off the lights for, it seemed like a very long time, but it probably was 15, 20 seconds. Um, and I don't even remember the lesson that they were trying to convey at that point. But I still remember the feeling that I had inside. The cold, the unknown, the darkness, the, the feeling that was inside is still, I can sense it. And when I was preparing for this topic, I thought to myself, this is probably what the world looks like without Christians. Jesus said, you are the light of this world. And the world is a very, very dark place. Without God, the world is a very dark place. Without the children of God that bring and bear his light, the world is a very dark place. So Jesus coming into the world as a light He's saying, you are the light of this world. The purpose for your life is to carry, for your life is to carry your, the light. And he said that, the, that the, the light, you don't hide it. It has to be seen. You put it up high so it can shine. And how, so the question is, how do people see our light? Practically, right? Not just theoretically. How do people see my light in my life? And if we read, continue reading down, Jesus uh, tells us that people see or our light is seen through our good works that we do to other people. Very simple. Very basic. My works, the things that I do, they witness about the light that is in me. The works that I do to other people is the witness of the light that is in me. Very simple, right? We thought it was more sophisticated. <laughs> so the question is, where is my light seen the most? And let's think about relationships, okay? Let's think about relationships. We're, you know, right now in the age of, of this um, virtual reality. Did you guys get your virtual reality glasses already? No? Maybe some people. But we are coming into the age and day of virtual reality. You know, people live in social media, and, and there's not a lot of communication, you know, face-to-face. -face. I mean, let's face it. There's not a lot of communication that happened face-to-face -face anymore. And I'm so thankful for the church, for the body of Christ. We can gather here. We can fellowship. We can relate to each other. We can pray for each other. Praise Jesus. But people don't have that much of communication nowadays. And um, 
where, where, where does it happen? In relationship, right? That we share something. And first of all, it's in my home. I find it that the most tangible fruit that I produce happens in my house. At my home with my brothers and my sisters, with my wife, and with my kids. I can, you know, put on a face, put on a mask, and be this nice guy in front of you here. But when I get home, that could be another story, right? So the, the very real test is when I get home, how do I deal with my parents? How do I talk to them? How do I deal with my siblings? My friends that are not here? That's the real test. What do my relationship bear? Is there light in my relationships? Um, school and work, you know, we're, we're exposed to other people. We're put in certain conditions and, and pressures that we open up. People see who we really are. In church, uh, when we serve, uh, serve other people, in friendships especially, um, in dating, we're about dating. Do I show light when I meet up with a brother, with a sister? Is there light in between us? Is God there with me, with us? Does my relationship bear light? Is there light in my relationship? That's the big question. What is my attitude? Do I feel entitled to certain things that people owe me? Oh, why did you didn't text me? Why I wasn't invited? Why this and that? Do you feel entitled to certain things? To your mom cooking to you, for you, and other things? You know, simple things. It's the self-centered attitude versus a servant attitude. That's where the light, that's where our light comes in. When people see us on, on a daily basis, you can tell them that you're a Jesus Christ follower, but if, my, if I am a self-centered person, if I only concern about myself, guess what kind of light I am? The question is, is there a light of Christ, right? And another question would be, what hinders my light as a Christian? Why am I smoking instead of glowing, instead of shining light? In the practical sense, why, you know, there's so much smoke and no fire and no light? And I find it, I find it that it's the love and tolerance for the things that God hates. I believe uh, Dennis spoke on some of these things already today, but love and tolerance for the things that God hates hinders my light as a Christian. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can either serve God or you can serve someone else. So there's a clear division. Materialism 
is uh, chasing after the material things, right? Houses, cars, nice gadgets are just some examples. Quoting our pastor, he says, materialism destroys faith. The love for material things, to possess things, to spend your life or time and, and everything together those things, according to our pastor, that destroys faith. That it, that's in addition to what Jesus said, that no one can serve two masters, right? And he was speaking to Pharisees. He was speaking to Pharisees and he said, you love money. And you know what they did? They were laughing in his face. Because they wanted to look good before the people. And Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Those are the things that, this is one of the things that hinders my life as a Christian. If I spend way too much time on possessing something, having something. Um, another thing would be um, in information and entertainment. I know we're in a constant fight. We have to realize that we are not, we cannot be friends with the world. That the world around us is darkness and it's always in the opposition of a person that bears light. If we become friends with the world, we're already not a light. Because light and darkness does not coexist, if that makes sense. When you come into a room and you turn on the light, what happens? Can you find any dark spots? No. There's no... There's no such thing as darkness. There's light. Light. Um, everything is filled with the light. So the, the, the darkness is in the opposition of light. So if, if we're not a light, we don't have any, any opposition with those people. We, we can be friends. But not if I am a light of the world. And you know what? To be practical, uh, the world around us is not simply neutral. The secular world and the entertainment industry is aiming for your soul. They are aiming to steal the most precious thing that you have, your soul. The time that we have And they have an agenda, and their agenda to implant the worldview into young people. And so my question for us as Christians, my brother and my sister, I wear the same shoes, I am in the same world, I face the same challenges. I face the same struggles as you do. The phone that you're sitting on right now, the other things, I face the same challenges. And I have to tell myself, no, stop doing this. Because it's a, it's a decision. What am I going to do with my time? Instead of someone making that decision for me. And another thing that I find that um, today, 
the world is in rebellion with God. The law that's in rebellion with God and in rebellion with his will, with his law that he gave. Law number two that God spoke, uh, he said, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And an idol could be anything that we make an idol. We have to understand something about an idol. That it's not something that stares at us from the outside. It's not something big that we can't control. An idol is something that person makes. He carves it out out of a wood in the old times. He puts it in his house and he worships it. Guess what? Can you identify any idols in American culture today? It can be anything. It can be a material thing. It can be a person. It can be a relationship. We can worship an idol in our life and not even realize it. And let me help you to identify an idol. It is something that takes your emotions. It is something that takes your time. It is something you're invested in more than into a relationship with God. And we all need to go through that test regularly. Not once when we come to Christ and we cry and we give ourselves to God. But constantly coming back and checking ourselves. Is there something that stood on the, into the first place, that took the first place in my heart? Something above God. He said, I am the Lord your God. Do not make an idol for yourself. Law number five, do not kill. Can anyone help me? Do we see killing today? Where we can see killing today? That's a question you can answer. Or do we, we can never, if you would want to find somebody killing someone to see that, you could not find it, right? No. The brother back there, that, okay, thank you. Thank you for being honest. It's hard to find it. What about you shall not commit adultery? You know, we went on a honeymoon with my wife, Natasha. That was uh, over five years ago. And at the hotel where we stayed, um, there was this complimentary, you know, five-shelf um, space with movies. And we were like, oh, that's cool, you know, let's, let's watch some movies. So we started flipping through the movies. 200 movies later, we haven't found one movie that did not feature killing or sex. Or horror movies. I don't even count those. So we had to go to a different place and buy a cartoon. Um, Ratatouille. I don't know if you guys <laughs> But, no, really. You have to find, work really hard today even to watch a decent movie. Because everything features rebellion against God. 
the killings, adultery, sex, not in a marriage. My dear friends, and if we are choosing to participate in that, even visually, we're already breaking God's law. He is displeased with that. He is not pleased with that. And he doesn't want us, the bearers of his light, to be participating in the things of this world. Anyone with me? You know, I, have to, I had to make a decision in my life at some point to say stop to all those movies because I realized that they are dragging me down in my relationship with God. It's a decision. Information. You name it. You know, today, uh, Google and other companies are hiring information, attention engineers. They're after your attention to engineer such a devices, such a applications that would take your attention and keep it. If we deliberately uh, do not choose to switch our attention from something like that to God, we're going to lose. We're not going to be a light bearers. We have to make that decision daily. Anything that does not strengthen me morally is the enemy of the virtue within me, Oswald Chambers. Anything that does not strengthen me morally is the enemy. If something is not strengthening your relationship with God, it's your enemy. Don't play with it. It's not a friend. If there is something in my life that is kind of borderline, I would seriously question that. Does it strengthen my relationship with God? Or not? Is God pleased with that? Or does it go against His desire? We're running out of time. Um, the Word of God says that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what um, produces light in me? Practically, what's the solution? What generates that light in me? Like the generator, you know, that you fire it up and it starts just putting out all that energy. What generates that light in me? It has to be something renewable that you come to all the time. It has to be something tangible. Do, you probably all remember the story of the ten virgins. There were five wise ones that had the lights, and there were five foolish ones that also had the, you know, the light, the lamp. Um, and one, you know, five of them ran short of the of the oil because. You know, the, the groom is coming and, and, and so on. And they were like, can you lend us some? But those other ones, they said, no, no, no. You go and purchase for yourself, right? You go and purchase. And this is important. If you would give me your attention for a little bit more. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. If you go and purchase, 
How do you purchase that oil? Because the oil is what makes the light to burn. It is the oil that makes the light to burn. How do you purchase that oil? They told him, go and purchase. But what do you use as, as, a, as a way of exchanging the value? Throughout the Spirit, throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is saying that to purchase something, you have to exchange something of a value for you for something that is valuable in God's eyes. So in order for us to purchase that oil, we have to exchange it for our time. We have to exchange it for something that is precious in our life. Something that we hold dearly in order to buy what God has, what God offers. We have to offer that as a sacrifice. Are we ready to do that? Are you ready to offer the things in your life that are precious to you today, identify them and, and be honest with you. Do I want to give them up? Do I want to exchange them for the, the Holy Spirit, for this light-giving substance that is the Holy Spirit in us? It is the Holy Spirit that produces the light in us. And the works that come out are the product of our walk with God, our relationship with God, and nothing else. So in conclusion, what to expect? What to expect when I embrace God, when I embrace and I, I say, Lord, I need only you. I surrender all to you. What to expect? Expect division. Expect nothing more than division, first of all, within yourself. You have to decide, this is holy and this is unholy. I'm going to participate in this, but I'm not going to participate in these things. I'm not going to participate in these discussions, in this gossip. I'm not going to participate in watching these movies with these friends. I'm going to say no to these people because they are unholy and they're dragging me down. There is a division that happens, has to happen on the inside first. And then there's going to be a division on the outside that we already heard about today. Some people are not going to be friends with you anymore because you don't participate in the things that they participate. Because you don't laugh at their immoral jokes, perverted jokes. Because you don't watch the same movies and you don't do the same things. It's a tough choice. But that's a sacrifice that Jesus was talking about. If you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and die on that cross and follow me. My dear friends, but the reward is great. <laughs> All is worth it. All is worth it when you think of the reward. The reward not only here, but the eternal life spent with God. You know, when Jesus describes things like the eye hasn't seen and the, the ear hasn't heard, you know, some people suggested that 
in heaven, there's not going to be seven notes. There's going to be much more. So you could hear music that you never heard here on earth. You could see the colors that you never have seen. The design that God designed. I mean, just to imagine time spent with God without have to worry about what do other people think about me? That alone worth a lot, you know? That alone. But God is inviting us into close relationship with Him. Into intimate relationship with Him. And He said, come to me and purchase what I have. And be the light of this world. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up for a short prayer and then we will sing another song. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this evening. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Lord, it's such a blessing to be in your church, to be part of your plan, and to be the light in the dark as it world. Oh Lord, this world is as dark as it gets in our days. And you rely on those light stands, on those lamps that represent your light, that shine your light into this world. My Lord, I believe that today your heart goes out to your children. And you're standing and you're waiting when we will come to you. When we will ask you for help in our struggles, in our problems, with the sin that we're fighting, Lord. You're waiting when we are going to come to you and give everything to you. And take your yoke that is light. Lord, you're waiting there to give us that peace, to give us that joy, to give us that hope that can only be found in you, Lord. And I pray with my brothers and sisters and for my brothers and sisters that you would help us, Lord, that you would give us this desire, that you would open our eyes to see that the time is running out that you are coming back and that we need to be responsible with our time, with our lives, that we need to get closer with you. Give us that desire, Lord. Give us that desire in our hearts. Give us that urgency that this is the time to do it. This is the time to get closer with you, Lord. There is no time to waste. You are coming back for us, for your children, Lord. And I want our church and want our youth to be effective for you, Lord. And to bring that light into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.